so squishy. Um, welcome back to Famous Last Words podcast. You're Andrew. You're Teresa. And, and we're the Aldens. And we're, we are the Aldens. Um, so we're going to talk about... Do we want to just do it? Again? Let's just start. Wait, what? No, that I was like not, that. I thought that was cute. It's not that. Okay, well, we're just going to keep that in there and you're going to just have to suffer with us. <laughs> so we are the Aldens and we are doing a... Uh, our podcast is Famous Last Words where we talk about movies, uh, uh, do interviews occasionally, and uh, just talk all things film. We are doing our 31 Days of Horror, so if you've liked us, keep following us, and thank you so much for listening. Um, we are on day three of the the journey of horror, and we are going with a weird kind of throwback one, a 1980s horror movie that's not very 1980s horror, in the sense that you think of like maybe Friday the 13th or A Nightmare on Elm Street, but very 1980s in the way that you might think of like silk blowing in the wind or uh david bowie or uh uh doves there's lots of doves yeah um we are talking about the hunger uh but uh directed by tony scott brother of ridley scott who died tragically um a couple decades after this uh three decades after this movie was made um the hunger follows david bowie and catherine devenu who are vampires and they are vampires living in New York City in uh, what looks like to be the Upper West Side. And they uh, eat people. And they do a lot of very non-vampire things like walk around in the daylight. And they the movie kind of starts with a S&M leather sex thing. Uh, music video of sorts. And David, David Bowie and Catherine Devenu uh, go to town on a young punk-looking couple. And yeah, this. what did you think of this movie, Teresa? I mean, if you're a big fan of cross-cutting editing, this is the movie for you. Because the entire like first half, it's just like cross-cuts, cross-cuts. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, it, it made me... It's a very different vampire film. And it's a different film that was being made in the 80s. I think it's more of a mixture of like brett easton ellis novel and the music video to yeah that song uh uh huey lewis in the news no no the um the one that the flowy curtains oh um uh uh total clips of the heart yeah like it has that aesthetic completely but um yeah this movie i really like this movie i i want we're we're giving it a hard time but we actually really liked it yeah i (laughs) Uh, so it, it, it involves kind of a part of the lore. So everyone always talks about interview with the vampire about kind of a reimagining of the kind of a, a, a embracing of the LGBT community in horror movies, um, probably cause it's two men and that's a lot trickier, uh, or a lot like more non PC than, than two women. But this movie I think is ahead of its time in a lot of ways that it's like, a movie kind of about two women falling in love and they just happen to be vampires. And that's part of the aesthetic of the whole thing that Catherine Devenu is a thousands of year old woman vampire who, who wants companions. Essentially. I think it's alluded to that. She's an incredibly ancient vampire who selects someone to be 
her lover, her companion, someone to spend the next 100, 200 years with. Um, and when you meet, when we start the movie, her companion is David Bowie. And you, as you go through the movie, you learn that when she decides she's done with the person who she has chosen as her lover, um, you know, she kind of casts them aside. And then as a result, they start aging from where they are at that moment. And so in the beginning of the movie, David Bowie is seemingly 36 years old or somewhere on that. Um, and you catch right in the middle where she's done with him and he starts to age rapidly in the next like 48 hours. He just turns into an old man and completely disintegrates almost. I thought the one kind of amazing sequence in the movie, and it's early on, is David Bowie is... So Susan Strandon's character is like this um, kind of like looking at the aging process and blood and how that affects people. And she's trying to like kind of solve aging, which is a very 1980s thing to do. Um, a very 2000s thing to do. Uh, try to solve aging. But David Bowie's like, I need to speak with you because he thinks he's very desperate to try to find a, a cure for his, his rapid aging or... If, Maybe there's something there that can help him. And she kind of blows him off because uh, she thinks he's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and he has a sequence where he waits for like an hour in or a couple hours in this waiting room and rapidly, rapidly ages like, you know, like 100 years, 60 years or something in like a couple hours where he kind of rapidly speeds up. And it's this kind of beautifully tragic thing to me that this guy is looking for help, but he, there's no one that can help him. And he's waiting for help that's never going to come. And I, I thought mm-hmm. that was like, you kind of forget how good an actor David Bowie is. Because David Bowie, the uh, the icon of of pop culture, gets over overwhelms David Bowie, the artist. Like, you know, this is a pretty, I thought he did a pretty amazing job in this movie. And Susan Sarandon and Catherine Devenu are, are real legit, you know, top of their caliber actors. And David Bowie doesn't stick out at all yeah and actually like david bowie the the star the icon brought us to this movie because we were like oh yeah we want to see a vampire movie with david bowie i mean who wouldn't right um and he's he's not actually in the movie very long like he plays a very important role in the first act and then it's way more about season sarandon's character and how she becomes the next selection of the new like companion the new lover yeah there's this um kid that I glean is like this violin prodigy that lives across the street um and comes and plays violin with David Bowie and Catherine Devenu and they play like a piano trios together and at one point so spoiler alert you can go now if you don't want spoilers okay you didn't leave um is that what is causing each person Catherine Devenu when she doesn't want them anymore, she's not interested in them as people or as companions anymore. That's when they start to rapidly age. That seems to be the 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 gist. Of, yeah, I already spoiled that. The gist of it. No, no, no. <laughs> no. But so there's this girl that lives across the street oh. that um, at the time you're a little unsure of what's going on. But David Bowie has her play play some uh you know a violin passage for her for him, and he sneaks up behind her and kills her. And at the time. It's a very tender, sad moment because David Bowie knows that Catherine Devenu wants this little girl to be her next companion. And mm-hmm. and at the time in the movie, you actually haven't quite figured out why David Bowie kills this little girl. 
<laughs> so you just feel like, you know, like confused and like, I thought David Bowie's suffering. Why is he killing someone? What is the purpose? And then you discover a little bit later why exactly. Mm -hmm. And I think the, and so David Bowie can't actually die. Like he, he, he can, his exist, he, his body deteriorates, but he can't actually like cease to exist. And so Catherine Devenu has in her attic, just a bunch of her former companions all just hanging out in coffins. And it's kind of, it kind of is a brutal part of the the story. It's very akin to uh, the Carl Dreyer movie, Vampire, when they're these people in coffins and, and, uh, that that just struck a chord with me is, is like these kind of ghostly people that aren't quite people. Yeah, it's yeah. very weird. And actually, the one thing I can't get on board with with the movie is like the very end. Um, you know the the people in the coffins start coming out and trying to you know they end up attacking um, Catherine Devenu Devenu and um, you know I, I like I felt like that scene just needed someone to cut it short someone just needed to edit out a lot of that scene because it starts out so good with kind of like flowy drapes and really dramatic lighting and then these skeletons kind of come out and they look really you know what they're gonna do like it's very implied you could cut that scene right there and know like they you know they try to take her down but it just ends up being kind of silly with like an overly like a music video where they're all like trying to attack her and she's like blowing in the wind and there's like pigeons and doves and just tons just of doves. So ridiculous. Yeah, it, it it's pretty idiomatic of kind of that period in in kind of cinema history. And Tony Scott being a commercial director was always kind of like up on like what was the most commercially selling images of the time um and so that's why i think the doves and the floatiness and that's why it looks like music videos mm -hmm. it's because he was a direct him and his brother ridley had been directing commercials and he had continued to direct commercials tony scott and so that's why i think it feels kind of like it's cutting edge but at the same time now looking back on it 30 years almost 40 years later it looks just kind of like nonsense yeah, and I think it's that scene in particular. I think everything else in the movie, the aesthetic is so clear and the cinematography is gorgeous and the set design, like Works just the really way well. that the light is brought in through the windows. And, and I mean, it's really cool to have a vampire movie where light plays a different role. Like they, it's, it appears they can't still handle like direct sunlight, but it doesn't like make them burst into flames. Right, they walk around in the sun. Yeah, they walk around outside and they just like have, sunglasses and hats and coats mm -hmm. and um but the light it's never dark in that movie it's mm -hmm. in every other vampire movie or most vampire movies it's just dark throughout the whole thing and this one there's just always the soft light coming in in mm -hmm. every room and i just think it's gorgeous yeah it works really well i think set design the main set that they the house they live in that's just they get a lot of miles out of that set that look really really beautiful Mm -hmm. um it features a very young willem dafoe in a, a small cameo at one point that i thought was very cool to see um yeah this movie i really like this movie i think it's not without its problems um but in terms of like a vampire movie and we'll talk about other vampire movies later but um this one uh is kind of lost to the sands of time yeah and i i think it should it's very underrated i think it should be one of those vampire movies that's talked about as often as maybe Interview with a Vampire because 
you know, maybe it's not as good as a as that movie, but it it's has such a different aesthetic that I think and, and a story. I think the story is very unique too that it deserves like a more cemented place in vampire horror. And and it's interesting to think about it in that scope of the history of vampire movies, because it's before Bram Stoker's Dracula before kind of like Francis Ford Coppola brought the gothic thing back to vampires. But it's it's so it's it's ten years before that. Mm. Uh but it's also I think ten years, roughly ten years before that. But it's also like fifteen-ish years after Christopher Lee's kind of heyday of playing the character, right? Or ten like maybe more like ten years after the 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 Christopher Lee Dracula movies. So it's in this place where the Dracula where vampire movies had yet to have kind of like a renaissance that like seems to go ebb and flow in like 15, 20 year cycles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think um, novelists were trying to starting to take vampires into a new world and to different places. Um, but I think movies hadn't really done that yet until around the eighties. I think it had been strictly like blood sucking vampires, Dracula, things of that sort, lots of campy vampire movies. Um, and so I think there was sort of a mini renaissance of serious gothic vampires, which was really interesting. Right, right. Yeah. And I think that um, you can, it's on HBO Max. So you have HBO Max, you can watch this this one. It's a, it's a good gem. It's got a lot of sex in it. The sex cannot be understated. <laughs> uh, a lot of sexual tension and straight up nudity and sex in this movie. Um, but uh it's also interesting to see kind of Tony Scott figuring things out before he goes and makes Top Gun, which is kind of like the, one of the next projects he did, which was Top Gun, which is probably his crowning achievement. So you can kind of see him figuring out a lot of the same visual aesthetic for some of the indoor sequences of Top Gun, this kind of like silhouetted kind of um, soft light that you were talking about. So you should go watch it. And it's great to watch David Bowie do anything. Yeah, especially be a vampire. He's so cool. So if you like this, uh, please give us a a like or a uh, a follow on uh, whatever social media platform. We are Obscure Broadcasting. Thank you so much for tuning in to our 31 Days of Horror. We are well on our way. Well, we're not well on our way. That's uh, we, we, We've just we, started. We've just started, but we've taken the first few steps together. So um, if you're a fan of 31-step programs of horror, um, please like us. And thank you so much for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Teresa. 